for that, you know, maybe hour and a half, it was literally just me and Tino and the mirror and the fucking weights and the rings. And we were just doing our thing. And like, no one, no one could fuck with us. Like, we didn't give a flying fuck about anything that happened in the outside world or anything that happened to anyone else. And you can tell me that's narcissistic. Frankly, I don't give a shit because it was like literally the best feeling. Alright folks, here we go with episode 3 of the Feast and Philosophy podcast. I'm here with Alex who's calling in from Boston and Tino over on the west coast in LA. Today we'll be tackling one of the largest topics in fitness, strength training, and specifically the differing methods employed by Tino and Alex when it comes to strength. Good afternoon guys, how you doing? I'm doing well. Um, yeah, it's been a pretty, pretty chill week still injured um so all i've been doing is biking for training which i'm starting to present more and more um but other than that i've been working on improving my sleep because i've been having difficult sleep so yeah trying to drink tea tea before bed you got exams going on right now, is that right? Yeah, exams are going on. Um, so yeah, and I, I've been uh, experimenting with some macronutrient ratios to see what makes me feel the best because I fucking hate being hungry and I just want to eat as much as I want and not have to worry about it. So we can discuss what's, that in another What's the episode, macronutrient but... ratio? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Trying like a lower, a... lower carb because I I'm less hungry when I eat fewer carbs. So we'll see how that pans out in the future. But, but yeah, that's it for me. Very good. And um, big week for you, Atino. Last uh, last classes of college and graduation on the horizon. I know. Can you believe it? Um, I have a 2000 word essay due tomorrow and then a 5000 word essay due next Monday. So I still definitely have my work cut out for me before graduation. But this past week, I thought I was going to be able to start working out again. And I wasn't able to like Alex, I'm still injured. I have a pretty severe case of golfer's elbow or <laughs> the scientific term. I don't even golf. The scientific term is called medial epicondylitis, which yeah. is like, which is like the the tendons that run on the inside of your elbows and that connect to that little ball on the inside, the bone ball on the inside of your elbow. They've just been in excruciating pain. And I took last week, not this past week, but last week, super easy. Didn't get any better, and then came this past Monday. I was supposed to hit like a fresh new mesocycle and I, I tried to do one pull up and it was just in excruciating pain. So 
I just decided I'm going to take this entire past week off and I can see myself losing muscle and it's just one of the saddest feelings in the world. Nah, dude. You don't lose muscle in a week. So I guess I guess for both of you, we're uh, scratching that strength training itch by talking about it instead of, uh, instead of actually doing it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly what's happening here. <laughs> and aside from this podcast, we inform each other about like eight times a day of our status. Yeah, yeah. What about well, you, George? Uh, yeah, well, I was going to say, you two uh, complaining about, about the two injuries that you've got going on at the moment. I have actually a bit of good news regarding my knee injury, which seems to be uh, improving a little bit, so much so that um, I had, had my dad, we have like a, a pasture out the front of our house, and when returning from a running injury, it's best to try and run on grass or something other than tarmac to begin with so I had him mow me like a with, with a like sit on mowing machine a 250 meter like oval track to start a start getting a few short short runs in on to yeah do you know much about track. running on sand um only that it's a lot harder oh it's so hard oh I heard it's like better for your joint but yeah, whenever i've done it it fucks up my knees because i land all weird shit i mean i think often people run on sand barefoot and that's pretty tricky to do but i think running on a pair of quite quite wide shoes can feel really good well i mean you don't, you i don't, don't know in quite as far you just i don't know about that trash the shoes i know that in california if you wear shoes on the beach you'll get the worst looks. So, I mean, I would never dare to wear shoes on the beach. But would you ever really go running on the beach? Definitely not. Right. I barely go running in the neighborhood. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Alrighty, so uh, as always, we'll end the podcast with a bit of a QA. and a um, Thank you for those who submitted their questions this week. The opportunity to ask questions will go up again at the end of next week, and that's on the Feast and Philosophy Instagram page, feast underscore and underscore philosophy. So go and check that out, and uh, yeah, get some get some questions in for us for next week. Um, so before we dive into the main topic, I'm just going to do a little almost briefing so that our listeners have a sense of the angle that we're we're attacking this from. So. As you may have picked up from the previous episodes, Alex, Tino, and I were part of the Columbia Lightweight Rowing team together. And while part of the team, we would have strength sessions with the with a strength and conditioning coach twice a week. Um, and these aim to build strength without gaining gaining weight because the sport was was weight restricted. And the other the other main goal was to reduce injuries, particularly in the kind of the ribs and uh, hips and the kind of key areas that can get injured through rowing. Um, and when they arrived as kind of freshmen and sophomores, Tino and Alex could be said to be, you know, very diligent and in attendance on a weekly basis um, to these strength sessions. But about halfway through their time at, at a, on the team and at university, they began to, to drift a little bit and, um, formulate their own opinions about strength training, which they implemented quite significantly. Um, and I guess the way I want to kick things off is by basically asking the guys what 
what their goal was and what their kind of thinking behind going off down their own route of strength training was. So, uh, Alex, why don't you kick off for us? Well, to really get into this, we have to go back to my freshman year of high school when I first started uh, rowing, actually. Um, I started rowing as a because I thought that it would make me jacked. And I was, you know, new to a co-ed school. I had acne, braces. I was skinny. And I was like, dude, I got to get fucking yoked because it'll help me get girls. And uh, I was playing soccer at the time. And, you know, soccers don't tend to be the most impressive-looking people. So except Ronaldo, but, so I joined the rowing team, and uh, it did not make me jacked, but I always had this kind of deep-rooted love of lifting weights, and it kind of got uh, pushed into the background as I really got better at rowing and started focusing on rowing more, and I definitely don't regret that because rowing has given me a lot, Uh, but... Last summer, after after IRA, I was very skinny, and I was like, shit, you know? IRA being the national championship for rowing. Yeah. The Division One um, national championship. And I was like, damn, I, I feel like I could, you know, put on some muscle. Like, I'm pretty skinny right now. Um, and so that was when I started lifting again, and... Uh, kind of since then I've just been refining my craft if you will and getting more and more into it learning more and more about it you know reading at at first was it just a bit of a like summer binge yeah first it was kind of just like I don't want to train very much for rowing yet so I'm just gonna lift because it's chill and it's enjoyable Um, summer bod and all that yeah exactly and then as I got more into it I was like holy shit this is sick like I love the feeling that I get when I get a nice pump in the gym and it truly is the best feeling. And I loved like watching myself progress on key lifts. That was like an awesome feeling. So yeah, that is kind of my story. Yeah. For me, um, so I do something a little bit different than Alex. Alex resistance trains with, barbells and I resistance train with calisthenics and I think those are two pretty mutually exclusive but they do exhaust the whole concept of resistance training pretty well so for those Um, who don't know can we can we get a quick definition of calisthenics yeah so calisthenics well let me start with barbell first I think it's best to create a binary barbells use like it's the classic gym setup. You know, you go to the gym, barbell training uses external weights like dumbbells and uh, barbells, you know, having the bar with the two plates on the side and squatting it. Or, you know, overhead press is when you have a barbell and you press, it's up on your shoulders and then you press it up above your head. That's called an overhead press. And it's what um, you see on the Olympics for, for weightlifting. Exactly. So... It, it uses external weights to accomplish, to, to, it uses external weights to put 
like a stimulus on your muscles so that they can grow. So my angle of attack is around sophomore year, my friend sent me an ebook on, um, no, it wasn't even my friend. I got an ebook from uh, this guy's website. His name is Greg O'Gallagher. And some of you guys know him as Kino Body. And uh, I started following his routine, which was calisthenics, which is just strictly body weight. So instead of doing like bench press, he would write something which would give you an equivalent stimulus on your chest, which would be like one arm push-ups. You know, like you're still, you're well, going to be... equivalent stimulus is debatable. No, I actually agree to that. Um, <laughs> I don't think a one-arm push-up is like that. I mean, it also depends on how much you're bench pressing. If you're like 150 pounds and you're pushing up and you're doing like a push-up, you're probably pushing up like 80% of your body weight. So that's like, what, 120 pounds? So that means that you have 120 pounds of barbell that you're pressing up or pushing up. Um, but that is what calisthenics is, is it's like just to find the equivalent stimulus to put on your muscles, you use your body weight and you start to leverage your body weight in certain ways to get that same stimulus so that you don't have to go to the gym. And so I started with my buddy or with, uh, with that ebook from Grego Gallagher and I noticed improvements, but really not that much. Um, but it got me super interested in calisthenics and that was like sophomore summer going into junior year. And then junior year, I kind of dropped off with the whole calisthenics thing because I was fasting and I was also super busy. And um, I mean, fasting really doesn't have anything to do with it. But essentially, my goal junior year was to get as skinny as possible. So I didn't see any muscle in that equation. Um, and uh like junior spring, I had a little bit more time on my hands. So I started researching calisthenics and I stumbled across like one of the greatest calisthenic inventions, which are rings. So, and if you don't know what rings are, they're the Olympic event where uh, gymnasts use like wooden rings that dangle from a ceiling and perform a ton of different moves. And like lately it's kind of, I mean, especially since quarantine, people have been using them more and more, but I kind of like fetishized this thing, like the rings. And I started saying like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it when summer rolls around. And I got a good program. It was six day a week program for different workouts that I could do on the rings, like push-ups and, and uh, bicep you curls. Did you find, What's the, up? find the program online? Yeah, I found the program online. I mean, I bought this ebook for like $13 and it was like probably one of the best investments of my life. And uh, like, just like Alex, after this past IRAs, I just started cranking out workouts on the rings and it actually improved my physique dramatically. Um, and it was interesting to always hear this doctrine of like, oh, you need to have weights to put on muscle, which is absolutely not true at all. Like the only thing you need to put on muscle is this like concept of progressive overload, which is like providing like a stimulus each week, uh, like equal or greater to the, the prior week. 
So if you do 10 push-ups this week, you'd have to do 12 push-ups next week to get the exact same stimulus or like, and then the next week after that, maybe like 17, 18, maybe even 20 if you're feeling, feeling good. So that is what progressive overload is. It's just overloading the amount of weights, which is good for barbells or reps, which is good for calisthenics and still putting on muscle. So that I, it was really fun to just kind of dismantle that theory of like, oh, you need a gym to get stronger or you need a gym to get, um, to grow muscle because I was doing everything in my backyard and getting this insane physique over the summer. And at least I'm not, I'm not someone who's ever tried rings. I mean, I guess I can claim I've done calisthenics to some extent if a push up and like other central exercises count as that. But like, I feel like for a lot of people, the idea of rings is quite intimidating and just like the first, you know, you're worried that, okay, I could buy these things, but there's no way I'm strong enough to do anything with them to begin with. Like, I think it's quite the contrary. I think people typically think that they're plenty strong to do it. You know, like even putting the rings to waist height and like about 20 inches apart, like if someone tries to go up to them and literally just hold, like hold themselves up, you know, like, like they're going to do a dip, like with parallel bars, but with the rings, you'll find that the majority of people cannot even hold themselves up on rings. Right. Like they're, they're so difficult, you know, when the rings are above your head and uh, you're below the rings, it's a little bit of a different story. It's pretty much the same thing as a pull-up bar, you know, maybe there's some minor differences, but as soon as you're above the rings and trying to stabilize yourself, it that is a totally different ballpark. And was there a point when you first bought these things that you were like, oh God, this was a really stupid idea. Like I'm not, no. I'm not going to be able to get anywhere with these. No. Well, actually, I mean, if I understand your question correctly, like I started using them and I was way too novice to use them. Yeah. Like there, there were some exercises that were like the easiest, most baby exercise to do um, in the workout that I could not even accomplish. Like I couldn't even do it for two seconds, but you know, like everything, there's a learning curve and you start to accomplish it. For sure. For sure. All right. And I guess we've hung with calisthenics for a minute there. What, what's your take on, on, uh, on calisthenics, Alex, as someone who doesn't do it? Like, I guess you've seen, been around Tino with him training that quite a lot. Yeah. So the problem that I have with calisthenics is, well, first of all, I think that it's like, it's very, it can be very complicated. Like with the barbell, it's like you have the bench, the incline bench, overhead press, and then you can throw in weighted chin-ups and barbell rows. And you pretty much have everything you need with those very simple basic movements that anyone can do but when you get to rings like you know in order to progressively overload like you have to start you know doing different progression schemes and all this whereas like with the barbell it's it's just simple dual progression you know you choose a weight you do x number of reps and you just try and keep increasing the reps until you get to a certain number. And then you increase the weight, decrease the reps, and you just kind of keep going through that. I mean, you can do that until you're like 
a late intermediate lifter and make phenomenal gains and uh provided you know you're eating enough um and i think that when you look at like calisthenics from kind of a purely hypertrophy standpoint i i don't really think it's optimal because there's a lot of like stabilization involved which can kind of reduce the uh the amount of tension you're putting on the specific muscle you're trying to target. So I think if you're trying to maximize hypertrophy, I'm not saying that you can't get jacked doing calisthenics because like obviously you can. I mean, there are so many people that do it. But I think like in terms of like what is the best way to maximize and kind of what's the most simple way to do that, I think that lifting weights is a very straightforward, easy way to do that without, you know, having to try all these different progression schemes and all of that. So I, I actually agree. Like it's definitely simpler, but like for, for those of you who aren't totally aware of how, like all of the methods to progressively overload with calisthenics, let's just take a push up for example. So let's say at best you could do 10 push-ups, 10 push-ups on a good day. And you do three sets. So you do 10, 10, 10. Uh, next week you could do 12, 12, 10 or 12, 12, 12, and it'll still feel the same. And then the third week you can get 15, 15, 15, if you're really feeling good. And, you know, you keep going with that. And at some point, you know, there's a range where you can there's a specific range that's best for building muscle. I mean, it's debated all the time, but at least the range that I work off of is I don't, I try not to be anywhere below five and anywhere above 15. That's like, so anywhere between five and 15 reps is good for building muscle. So once I get to like 15 reps, I don't want to go to 18 reps with my pushups. I don't want to go 20. I don't want to go 25. And that's what seems to happen. So like the equivalent of putting weight on the bar, but for calisthenics is like you put your feet up on a bench and then you do the same push-ups, and then it feels way, way harder. I mean, that's like the fundamental process in calisthenics is like you have to start leveraging your body in different ways to get the same stimulus or a greater stimulus. And then once your feet up, um, once you put your feet up and then you get to 15 reps again, then you start doing um, wide push-ups, and then you could do diamond push-ups. Or if you have rings, then you could start doing archer push-ups, which is basically one-arm push-ups, but you put one arm out to the side so it looks like you have a bow. Um, so I don't really think it's all that difficult to, I don't think it's as complex as, as you make it out to be. And I think that's where a lot of people shy away from calisthenics, which is really a shame is people say, oh, I need weights to get big. You know, it's just easier. It's just way simpler. But I fully argue that calisthenics are way simpler because you can have, you could do any and all of your exercises in your home. And you don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to pay for a membership. I really think it's, I mean, in my backyard, I have my like rings hung up on a tree and I have rings in my garage. And it's just, when I want to work out, I just walk outside 10 steps. Um, but I do see your point in like, you do get a lesser stimulus on 
a particular muscle because I mean, that's where I think barbells like excel. Like if you want to do a preacher curl, which is basically when you just put your arms on, on a surface and then you just get the, you get like a dumbbell or a bar, an easy bar, and then you start curling it. So you're really, really isolating your biceps. You have some forearms involved, but for the most part, you're just nuking your biceps. If you want to do a ring workout, but for your biceps, it's a little bit different because then you have to start moving your entire body around the rings. And I, it could be difficult to conceptualize right now, but I think what Alex is getting at with it being easier to target specific muscles with barbell training is something in um, resistance training like theory, which is open kinetic chain and closed kinetic chain workouts where like if you think of your entire body as like links on a chain starting from the crown of your head and going all the way down to your feet um for you like a open kinetic chain is when you break one of the links and then you just can just isolate a segment of your chain but a closed kinetic chain is when you keep all of like the links intact and you have to use every single one of your links to accomplish a workout. Like a good example is when you do a bench press, like you can break your kinetic chain pretty much below, like right around like your belly button, because below there, you don't need to be using any of your muscles. Like I, I would argue that you use just a little bit of your core for bench press. Um, whereas the equivalent for doing like a, a pushing exercise for calisthenics is like a push-up and if you have a weak core you won't be able to do the push-up so like that is the fundamental trade-off between like calisthenics and weightlifting is like the closed kinetic chain and the open kinetic chain and like i i do see how you can get a lesser stimulus but i also love like the fact that that you are training your entire body at one point or at one time so that you're maintaining this like incredible uh level of like balance between all of your muscles the one so thing probably- i the one thing i will say on that though is if you've ever done an overhead press or a squat or a deadlift like those engage the core to a very very large see but those those three exercises are actually closed kinetic chains like those are the only closed kinetic chain barbell movements i know of no uh Overhead press is not. Overhead press is. How? Um, so, for Tina, would you say, would you agree that uh, barbell style lifting has its has its place? For example, if you're trying to specifically target a weakness, so say you've been injured because you know X, Y, or Z muscle is weaker than the surrounding muscles, and actually you just need that muscle to catch up in strength to prevent the particular, in, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but to prevent the particular injury, it, is that somewhere that you can see that actually barbell training is the right, the right way to be going about it? I feel like, I mean, I don't exactly have a position for like rehab. So like if you are injured and it's been identified, like one particular muscle is, like needs more training than 
I mean, I guess you can skin the cat both ways, but I think for prehab, which is like preventing injuries, I think that, I mean, calisthenics are just the most incredible technique to utilize because like I said, like you have to strengthen your entire body to progress on just one exercise. Like, like if you do like one arm ring pushups, like there's no shot you can progress if your core isn't like also incredibly strong. So like it trains your core and, uh, and your chest. Like those are the primary muscles. And then it starts using like secondary and tertiary muscles. Whereas cat, like barbell, I found like really kind of focuses on primary muscles and neglects the tertiaries and secondaries. And, and where do you stand on something that I guess could be considered kind of like halfway? So, uh, push-ups with a, with a 20 pound weight on your back. So I guess you're adding external weight, but it's still a calisthenic style movement. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of those. Like I, one of my main movements when I wasn't injured was a weighted chin up because I thought it was awesome. Um, and probably like the best, uh, lat exercise that you can do. Um, so I think that that's good, but yeah, <laughs> that's all. That's all. Yeah. I, have to say. I think what you're referring to is weighted calisthenics and weighted calisthenics, like you, for people that don't know, like that's basically when you start adding weight onto your body for certain calisthenic movements, like dips or pull-ups or, I mean, I think those are the two primary ones. Like you can leverage your body in tons of different ways to increase the stimulus without weights. Like you could do one arm chin ups, you could do one arm L sit chin ups, you could just do regular L sit chin ups. Like these are things that are really freaking hard. But once you exhaust those, which I don't think I will for like literally decades, then you could start weighting chin ups or weighting those movements. But like until that point, I don't really see the point. I think, I mean, here's my other issue with calisthenics is that I think like for a lot of the movements, especially like, you know, a front lever or like archer push-ups and stuff like that, it requires a very significant amount of coordination and skill, whereas lifting weights does not. And when you reduce the skill required, uh you can increase the amount of tension that you're putting on the muscle because it's just like, it's a very kind of straightforward movement, you know? So that's I the think other that, thing. I think it really boils down to like what your goals are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, this is, this absolutely. is what I wanted to, to step back and ask because we kind of, at the beginning, we touched on how originally we all kind of took part in, or the two of you took part in the rowing team strength and conditioning program. And you guys very actively made the decision to uh, put in your own work above and beyond of that. And um, not to not to hate on what was being assigned by the strength and conditioning coaches, but more to delve into what the, the reasons were for you guys to make that decision and what the goals um, yeah, the goals were from that. Yeah. Um, well, I am, in a word, <laughs> incredibly narcissistic. That's two words, I guess. 
And for me, like, I mean, I love lifting and I love improving my strength, but honestly, like, it is very gratifying to see my body composition improve. And, uh, you know, I probably put too much stake in that a lot of times and probably should see someone about that. But that is the chief reason that I lifted weights, that I started it. And I am, like, fully aware that, you know, getting a really strong overhead press is not necessarily going to transition onto uh, on the water rowing. But I think that you can kind of do both. I mean, you probably won't be the best at either if you prioritize both, which is why, like, you know, this year, as I go into senior year, I'll probably kind of not focus as much on lifting because it's my last year uh, as a rower and I want to really, like, leave with a bang, so to speak. I think um, Tino and I will believe that when we see it. Yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, well, I'm just saying that because Nick probably is going to listen to this, so. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that is, that's, like, really what it comes down to is I just, like, I fucking love watching my body composition improve like it's incredibly satisfying yeah and it's not like i mean i don't think that the uh actually i know that the team lifts weren't designed to get us to the point where we're jacked you know it was like they were designed and i think this goes for like most weight sensitive sports like the there's two ways that everyone everyone and anyone can increase their strength it's a two variable equation which is you can increase the size of your muscle, which is commonly referred to as just the cross-sectional area of any given muscle, and neurological adaptations, which is basically just strengthening the connections between your neurons or your your nerves like all the way um, into your muscles. And I think that our strength program was designed mostly to strengthen the the nervous system connections throughout our body, because that really doesn't add much weight onto your body. I don't think it adds any weight onto your body. What does add weight is if you start targeting your muscles to gain strength, which is exactly what Alex and I did as we moved away from the rowing, uh, the rowing strength program. So um, having touched on kind of your reasons for uh, stepping away from the team strength program and uh, setting up your own mantras and opinions and training program um what or can can you guys touch on um i guess what you actually think were the benefits of your two different uh ways of going about strength in terms of uh which is better for rowing yeah so i mean like i said i don't think there's honestly i mean i think that this like having a strong squat deadlift and maybe like bent over row could be beneficial for rowing but other than that like if you have a strong lateral raise like that's not important for rowing like that is purely for aesthetic reasons uh but the one thing i will say is that since i started i have been like plagued by injuries over the last few years like constantly getting rib injuries back injuries you name it and this year while i did get a few minor injuries 
from lifting weights. Like, you know, occasionally I'd like have to take some time off from lifting because my shoulders were hurting. Um, they were never like very long lasting or like sometimes my back would hurt if I did. Uh, so that was why I stopped deadlifting actually and started doing um, stiff legged deadlifts instead. Uh, and I, but then I, I actually attribute that to, um, I, I was, my form wasn't great. I wasn't arching my back properly, but, uh, I had no rib injuries this year with the increased muscle mass and increased strength. And the injury that I ended up getting this year, that would have been a fucking season ending injury as it turns out, was literally from stretching my bicep, like during a warm up, you know, it, it had nothing to do with lifting weights. And so I think the idea that lifting weights could like endanger you in terms of injuries is incorrect unless you're just, an, unless you're just not performing the exercises correctly. Um, or, or, I mean, overuse injuries are a legit thing. So you do have to be careful of that. Um, but what about the effect that, um, a strength program aimed at uh, building muscle. Does that have a? Did you find that had an effect on um, performing in a sport that is mostly cardiovascular based and flexibility based and you know a aerobic power sport? Yeah, the one thing I noticed was um, better like mind muscle connection through the stroke. For sure, um, for sure. And I think that's just because, like, what, regardless of whether it's weight or calisthenics, you uh, develop a better sense of your body. So I think that was one major thing. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 was, that, that was, I would say that's probably the, the most beneficial thing. In terms of, like, pure performance... I, I wouldn't say I noticed a huge benefit uh, from getting stronger, but I also like I, I was on and off with my training this year, so I don't know if there would have been a benefit if I had been like more on point with my training for rowing. Um, but I mean, in years past, I had not ever really taken lifting that seriously, and I did very well as a rower. So I don't know that it was that beneficial. But Tino has a very different story with his calisthenics and its impact on his that's true so senior year was my ninth and final year of rowing you know rest in peace but definitely ready to move on and for the eight years prior i was always notoriously unfit cardiovascularly and like just to back up a little bit what george was saying on aerobic and cardiovascular um, for all working out, your exercises can fall in the aerobic or anaerobic category. And that basically means, um, like you're doing something like jogging or rowing or running versus like strength training. So you're using your cardiovascular system for aerobic and you're using like your, like you're strengthening your muscles for anaerobic, which means you're not putting it's your muscles are not relying on oxygen that's the anaerobic the uh, without um so aerobically and anaerobically shit my whole life i had just been weak and i'd always floundered in in my performance in rowing um but i was actually always like 
pretty good. I wasn't good, but I was like pretty good at rowing my whole life just because I knew the technique extremely well and I would never make any negative impact or I would at least try very hard to never make a negative impact um, in any of the boats that I was in. So that's how I scraped by. I just rowed very delicately and I rowed very well. Um, but on my ninth year of rowing, I showed up to school uh, and I didn't really do much cardio, much aerobic training at all over the summer, but I showed up to school and I was just incredibly fit, like more fit than I had been in my life. And the only difference that I had made in my training schedule was the summer prior to that year, I had just done all of my rings training. And at first I was like, oh my God, what the hell happened? And I realized that I just walked into a lot of luck by doing ring training for rowing because, you know, I was really curious, like why I had gotten so much better and much more fit at the sport of rowing. And like all of my, all of my research pointed me in the direction of like closed kinetic chain exercises because rowing, the rowing stroke in and of itself is a closed kinetic chain. You're using really your entire body for every single stroke. And that's the exact same thing with rings is for the majority of exercises, you're using your entire body. So I was improving the coordination. I was improving the strength. I was improving my proprioception of every single part of my body. And that just had insane crossover to rowing. Um, so, you know, come winter training, I was just killing it on for every single rowing workout. And like, so my technique plus my my physiological performance this year performances this year were just incredible and like i said i'm i it really boils down to just i was lucky it just so happened that my interest in my fetishization of rings aligned with rowing and being fast and being powerful and it was it was like night and day for me having my strong body and my strong core and my body being able to support other parts of my body was just, it was like a dream. And to go back to your earlier question about injury prevention, um, you know, you see a lot of rowers get rib injuries and I genuinely believe it's because their core cannot sustain the load. Like, you know, when you're doing a max watt test and you're putting down as many watts as you can behind the face of the blade, like, you are going, some parts of your body are just inherently stronger than others. So like if you just, I mean, it's like flooring it from a dead stop in an old car, like other parts of the car are not going to respond well to it. And so while your legs could sustain a max watt load and maybe your arms, like you see it all the time, like people's ribs sure as hell can't and like the muscles protecting their ribs. And that's also something that was just so incredible about rings for me this year was like, I, I was, I wasn't getting injured anywhere. And my injury right now is different. It's overuse of a particular pulling muscle. And I actually stretched it like, and I tweaked it during my stretches. So that's different, but like, it's super good for prehab. Sure. There's a lot of good information there. Um, we've kind of touched on I guess kind of the theme of this this whole uh, chat in some ways, the back and forth between of you. So um, I guess the next few things that we'll 
discuss on is kind of weighing up the pros and cons and different uh, different takeaways from the way that the two of you go about things. So first of all, looking at uh, functionality of calisthenics versus the barbell, where, where do you guys stand on that? So one thing I just want to say, just to kind of summarize the last a little bit, is I think for rowing specifically, calisthenics is superior. All, calisthenics maybe plus squatting and deadlifting because it just, I mean, it does, it does teach you to, and I mean, now this goes into our next topic, like it teaches you to really, really like learn how to be in control of your own body weight, which in rowing I think is very underappreciated. Um, and so that is why, I mean, I, I'm sure Tino is going to say the same thing, but I think in terms of like functionality, calisthenics is definitely superior because I mean, you could like, it just, it makes you more agile. It makes you, I don't know if you wanted to climb trees or some shit, like you could do that easily, uh, because of what it's, um, enabling you to learn how to do. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that it is a more, a more functional way of training for sure. And probably the most like cross purpose applicable, like there's not many sports that it, it wouldn't enhance your performance to some degree. Yeah. I will say, I do think that, uh, the whole term functional training is kind of silly though, because I mean, functional for what, you know, like if you're talking about what, like what is functional in terms of, I don't know, during the paleolithic times, that's very different than what is functional for nowadays. You know, nowadays, a lot of people are looking purely for weight loss, body composition improvements, better health, and those can be achieved through either weights or calisthenics easily. In fact, there are a lot of benefits I mean, yeah, there are a lot of benefits to both for older people as well. Um, you know, like greater lean muscle mass is associated with a lot of health benefits. Uh, so I think if you're looking in terms of like functional health, I think either is totally viable. But if you're looking at it in like what can make you more capable of doing random things, then you could, def I, I would probably say that calisthenics is more functional in that term with air I, I i fully agree like i don't think i don't think working out provides much more in today's i mean like society is built on like the brain nowadays but like i don't think that it i don't think that a, like being incredibly fit poses much of an advantage in society so it really just boils down to what like you want to be fit or you want to have those health benefits so functionality, I totally agree. Um, however, I, I have, I think that like the best diet or the best strength routine or the best cardio routine that you can do is just one that you can stick to. And I know I, I'm, I'm not speaking for everyone here because Alex, you're living proof that it doesn't apply to everyone. Like I have found in the past that getting my ass off the couch and to the gym is one 
huge inhibitor in me actually working out. Like if I'm not feeling it one day, I'll start to make all these excuses like, oh, you know, I have to get up. I have to get, I have to get in the car. I have to find parking. I have to go to the locker room and talk to Jerry in the locker room or whatever the fuck it is. Whereas like, I mean, in calisthenics, if you have like your setup at home, which everyone listening to this podcast has a setup at home for calisthenics, whether you believe it or not, like the only thing preventing you from getting off the couch is just like your will. And like you can get up and start doing push-ups, or you can get up and start doing one-legged squats, which I assure you are some of the hardest things ever. And you can get definitely a good stimulus on your legs if you're doing sissy squats or one-legged squats or shrimp squats. So like I have found that it's significantly easier to stick to a rings or a calisthenics schedule simply because of how uh, available it is. The the one thing I will say to that is I actually uh, I actually find that sometimes it can be hard for me to get motivated to work out in my own house because I actually enjoy the ritual of getting ready to go to the gym. Like I love, you know, like making my pre-workout meal, having my cup of coffee, like blasting tunes in the car on the way to the gym. Like that's a great feeling for me. Uh, and so for me, it's like I, I never, 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 never have a lack of motivation to go to the gym unless it's to do something like, like if someone was like, oh yeah, let's go to the gym now to do, you know, two hours of cardio. I'd be like, oh my God, no, fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. But if it was like, yo, cardio is a different story. If it was like, yo, let's go to the gym and hit like some heavy overhead press and incline bench. I would be like, oh my God, dude, I'm already there. <laughs> Which actually you and I would do, you know? Well, I wouldn't say overhead press, but like literally this entire... So Alex and I forged our friendship like last year. So his sophomore year, my junior year. And this year, my senior year and his junior year, like we we would just take over the weight room in in the rowing facility. We would just take... We would dim the lights. We'd blare our own music like... That was our like Friday night, Saturday night, like legit routine. And there was nothing like it. Nothing. And there was nothing that anyone else could do about it. <laughs> no. I mean, at some point I actually had to make a deal with one of the women's team rowers. Her name is Astrid, where like I had to turn on like more than 10% <laughs> of the lights. <laughs> and so we bumped it up to like 50 or 60%. For sure. And and you guys would you guys you guys would do that despite like the differences all the differences we've talked about in terms of the lifts that you were doing and your opinions behind it at all you would just go in and get on with it in your own way. Well, like the way we did it was like so there were two squat racks in in the rowing like facilities, and like. I don't know how many of you are familiar with squat racks, but it's basically like a cage. And in the top of the cage, I would always be able to hang my rings. And in the other squat rack, Alex was just cranking out overhead press and just deadlifting and all of all of the greatest barbell hits. So we would go get the pumps together, like totally independently of one another because we'd both have our own squat racks just jam the fuck out and go get, and we would feast. 
for yeah. sure. I mean, one thing I'll say too is like, I mean, I, this year was not the easiest year for me for a lot of reasons. Uh, but having those days where Tino and I would, you know, text each other before and, you know, I'd be like, yo, are you, uh, you hitting, hitting dodge today? And he'd be like, hell yeah, dude. And we'd, and I'd be like, oh my God, dude, like I'm, you know, it's, it's a push day for me. Like, let's fucking get it. And he was like, oh hell yeah, dude. Like I'm doing push today too for my <laughs> rings. And we would just go in, you know, it could be a Sunday afternoon. It could be a Monday night, like any fucking time we would take over the ox we would start playing the nastiest house music possible. <laughs> yes. Immediately take our shirts off and we would just like, just get if in we the even zone, wore like, shirts in there. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, and, and for that, you know, maybe hour and a half, it was literally just me and Tino and the mirror and the fucking weights and the rings. And we were just doing our thing. And like, no one doing our no thing. one could fuck with us like we didn't give a flying fuck about anything that happened in the outside world or anything that happened to anyone else and you can tell me that's narcissistic frankly i don't give a shit because it was like literally the best feeling i i experienced all year you know it beats any any crazy food that i ate this year it beats any night out like there was nothing that could top it you know, just blasting house music and getting a fucking sick pump with your best friend. And that's what that's what breaks my heart is like, you know, like with all of I mean, there's tons of things about coronavirus that breaks my heart. Tons of things. But like one major one is I didn't know I was getting my last lift with my best friend until it was too late. Oh, guys, you're going to make all the listeners cry. It's serious, though. I mean, like, I look back on those days so... I mean, I don't know how many other people look back on those days fondly, especially those who were using the Erg Room while we were using it. But those were, like, the best hours, like, seriously, some of the best hours of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they were they were therapeutic in so many ways. And, I mean, it... I mean, and, and maybe this isn't, like, a great thing, but for me, you know, I was kind of dealing with a lot this year and it allowed me to kind of escape a lot of my problems and just focus on like the sole task at hand which was you know beat my previous week's PR and uh yeah I mean it was it was amazing and like I I think that you know if like if people looked at me and they were like oh my god this narcissistic douchebag like checking himself out in the mirror like lifting weights with his friend and just like blasting music like not giving a fuck about anyone else like yeah you know maybe i was a little bit self-centered at times but it helped me a lot <laughs> to, um, yeah. so to that point of the whole shirts off mirror checking out deal so uh who has the better rig who uh who's whose weights program whose oh, weights they're... program has led to to the ultimate shred I don't even want to comment on that. Actually, I do because I have a theory and this is my theory. I think calisthenics promotes a leaner physique because in order to perform well, 
with calisthenics, you need to be leaner. And whereas like weights, like, man, I would love just pounding like a hundred grams of carbs and going in and just having like an awesome pump. Like I didn't really care how much food was in my stomach, but if I was trying to do like front levers or a bunch of stuff like that, then it might be totally different, you know? Uh, and so I think that calisthenics promotes a leaner physique. The problem that I have with calisthenics from purely aesthetics is that I think one of the cornerstones of a very impressive aesthetic physique is capped shoulders. Specifically, capped the lateral delt. medial delts. Yep. The lateral delts. Because those are what enable the shoulder to pop, to give you kind of that that old school Vince Gironda V shape, you know, you know, the wide shoulders, uh, Narrow thick waist. upper chest, thin, yeah, thin waist. And you need, you need lateral raises to do that. And you can't, there's no lateral yeah, raises. There's actually, there's actually like zero calisthenic exercises to like hit your, hit your lateral delt. And like your delt is your shoulder. And your shoulder has three muscles. It has the front, the back, and the middle. And we're talking about the middle. And it's like, it's very, very hard to put a solid stimulus on the middle part of your shoulder with calisthenics. You know, like handstand push-ups, like, yeah, it hits them, but like, not that great. Uh, dips, like you can feel them activating, but like, it's not like, it's not really a workout. And like, Speaking to Alex's point, I've actually like cheated on closed kinetic chain workouts a little bit because like I do have some dumbbells at my house and I have been doing lateral raises just to get my shoulders to pop. All right. So there's there's a little bit of crossover here and there. For sure. For sure. Um yeah, and I mean, dude, like I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of weighted calisthenics. Like when I can start lifting again, like, dude, I mean, one of the first exercises I'm gonna do is weighted chin-ups. I love weighted chin-ups. I want to get into weighted inverted rows. You know, I'll especially now that I'm we're in quarantine, like weighted inverted rows, weighted chin-ups, weighted push-ups. I'm gonna get into like all that kind of stuff. I'm super excited for it, and I think that uh, I mean. I mean, I think you can get a pretty similar stimulus when you do uh, weighted when you do weighted calisthenics. I think you can get a very close stimulus, and you get the benefit of engaging your core more, which could be beneficial uh, as well. So yeah, I mean, it's still like a closed kinetic chain, so you're still working like all of these other muscles, and I think that's like. I think that is like the crux of our debate between like calisthenics and barbell is like barbell. You have the opportunity to isolate a muscle incredibly well, especially if it like we were just talking about like the lateral delt, like you can nuke the shit out of your lateral delts with a barbell or with dumbbells, like just your, just your, uh, lateral delt. But like, with calisthenics, like you have to work through tons of other muscles just to get to the one that you're targeting. Like, there's no real such thing as isolation with calisthenics. Like, it's an extremely compound thing because, like, your hands and your feet are fixed, and your body is the thing moving around your hands and your feet. Whereas for barbell and dumbbell, 
your hands and your feet are the ones moving. So the rest of your body can more or less, at least relative to calisthenics, take a back seat in the workout. For sure. For sure. Um, before we move on to the Q&A, I want to ask you guys a little bit about how, so I guess for the listener who who kind of likes what they've heard and, you know, hasn't tried calisthenics before or hasn't really lifted a ton, um, you know, that kind of person, can you just give a bit of an insight to like how you guys would actually structure your training on, on a, like a week to week basis? Um, you know, how many lifts a week, what you're targeting and maybe even the bigger picture, how that works over the course of a year. Yeah, this is a really good question. Uh, Super. Just kind of regarding programming, because I think they are pretty different between weights and calisthenics. So, uh, kind of one of the one of the like main guys that I go to for um, advice on programming is this guy named Mike Isretel. Yeah. I mean, he is yeah. like he is the this. I would argue probably the smartest guy in the fitness industry right I now. agree. I, mean, I listened to a is... podcast of his yesterday and I mean he's he talks like he's a walking encyclopedia for lifting. And so um, basically like what I do is I I choose like you want to choose movements that you really enjoy doing. Uh, and for me like I that you want to choose movements that you enjoy doing that hit the target muscles. So for me like I really love uh, incline bench and pause, uh, medium grip bench or close grip bench for chest. Those are like my two moneymaker chest moves. Then for back, there's a lot of different kind of musculature in the back. So you kind of have to play around with like what works for you. And like, this was a, and Tino can attest to this. Like I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what back movements I really liked because the weighted chin up was like, obvious for me i really like that one but when i was trying to find a horizontal pulling movement that was a lot more difficult because i didn't really like the standard barbell row because it engages a lot of the lower back and i think it's not optimal for kind of targeting the mid back and the and the and the lats so i wanted to find so i experimented with like a seal row but that was kind of sketchy for my rib and i eventually came across the helms row which is basically a barbell row with your head supported and it takes out a lot of the lower back and it allows you to get a much better mind muscle connection. And I think like that's key for, for figuring out, uh, choosing an exercise is like, you need to get a good mind muscle connection. And this is what Mike Isretel says too. You need to get a good mind muscle connection, which means like you feel the target muscle and you want it to get, to allow you to get a good pump in that specific muscle. Because, I mean, pump training, it's called like metabolite training. It's potentially been shown to uh, potentiate hypertrophy, but um, it's like very questionable still. But regardless, like, I mean, if you get a pump, that means that you are targeting the primary muscle. Uh, so I think that's the, that's key. And then also, you know, in the following day and the day after feeling soreness in the target muscles as well is essential. Like I would do barbell rows and I wouldn't feel sore in my lats the next day, which would, which to me was like, mm, I'm probably not working my lats as hard as I could be. Uh, 
so and the other the uh, actually the other thing that's really important is the stimulus to fatigue ratio which is another Mike Isertel term and that's basically like you want to get a, an exercise that gives you the greatest stimulus for the lowest amount of fatigue so something like a standard like conventional deadlift is great if you're a power lifter because that is what your sport is it's squat deadlift bench but if you're going for hypertrophy a standard conventional deadlift is not ideal because it's incredibly uh, centrally fatiguing and uh, taxing to your whole body. And it doesn't really target one specific muscle. So I actually switched it out and I do stiff-legged deadlifts instead, which I feel hit my hamstrings and uh, spinal directors much, much better. And they're substantially less fatiguing. Uh, well, I, they're not substantially less fatiguing, but I get fucking sick stimulus in my hamstring stimulus to fatigue ratio is significantly better as mike Isertel yeah. would say um and then regarding uh kind of like my program i basically try to hit anywhere uh i i also use mike Isertel's volume landmarks and so throughout a mesocycle which is basically uh a mesocycle is kind of like a period of time spent in a uh, a state of i don't know how would how would you even Define a state. A, mesocycle, I mean, like. a mesocycle. So there's 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 three types of cycles. There's a macrocycle, mesocycle, microcycle, and I just want to start from the beginning at a microcycle. So microcycle is one week period. So it is like just one week's worth of training, and a mesocycle is composed typically of three to maybe even five or six microcycles. And then the last week in that mesocycle, so after all of the three to six microcycles, is something called a deload week, which is like you can either take off volume of reps or you could take off intensity of reps or you could do both. Basically, it's just like a joke of a lift for like an entire week just to let your body like completely regenerate. And that chunk of microcycles plus the deload and the deload is technically considered a microcycle but that chunk that bracket of microcycles is called a mesocycle and then the same thing goes for a, a macrocycle where you plan your mesocycles for like six months a year 18 months and that would be a macrocycle yeah like me mesocycles basically like how much the amount of time that you're spending uh trying to create new adaptations before a deload. So like a mesocycle usually lasts between like three and six weeks. If you can go longer than that, you're probably not training hard enough. But so, uh, so I would, I would, so Mike Isretel's volume landmarks are like, you know, you start at maybe your minimum effective volume, which is roughly 10 sets. And then you add roughly two to four sets per week until you hit your MRV, which is your maximum recoverable volume. Now, I use this, but I also just oftentimes will stick to my maximum adaptive volume, Me which well. is in between MEV and MRV, because um, it's just like, I don't know, it's just less kind of annoying to think about. Uh, and, then, uh, and then how I'll structure that, so I'll, I'll try and hit maybe between 12 and 16 sets per muscle group per week, and then... Uh, I'll usually, I don't really like hitting the big muscle groups like legs, chest, and back more than twice a week because I find that I'll just start 
my tendons will just get overused. But I could do like lateral raises. Four you'll, times get medio, totally you'll get you'll get medio epicondylitis if you overuse them. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that is, but that's exactly uh, it's golfer's elbow, bro. What I'm playing oh, with right there, now. There you go. Yeah. So uh, so that that's what I'll do, and then I I usually prefer um, uh, either like a five day kind of full body ish, or I'll do. Um, push pull legs or one one thing that i experimented with towards the end of the year which i really like and i think i'm going to start doing is an upper day an upper accessories day and the lower day and i like that because on the upper day all i do is like my five really big movements which is incline bench standard bench overhead press weighted chin-up, and helm's row. I do those five, and then I'm done. And those are taxing as hell. So, like, you don't really want to do more after that. And it also allows me to spend sufficient time hitting more isolation, smaller muscles, like lateral delts, biceps, triceps, rear delts, stuff like that. Um, and, and it's just not as fatiguing either. Because, like, you can go in on any day and do sets of lateral raises, but you can't go in three times a week to hit heavy bench. No way. Um, so, anyways, that's my programming. See, similar to Alex, I actually do a very similar programming. Like, I I also really love what Mike Isertel talks about. And I remember I was on Reddit Bodyweight Fitness the other As month. As you do. And I came across some... As you do. What? Of course. I mean, I, I, spend, <laughs> I spend an unbelievable amount of time just researching and reading about this shit. So I I stumbled across a post of a user on Reddit who completely transposed the uh, Mike Isertel's like volume guidelines for lifting, but into calisthenics. And I I have done a ton of I don't advise a lot of the people who are sticking to a program right now to do this because I mean for obvious reasons, but I kind of made my own routine after doing all of my research and like I follow Mike Isertel's volume guidelines and uh, like what I did for a super long time was a push-pull leg split which basically means you split up your exercising into one day of pushing one day of pulling and one day of legs and so those three workouts I would do twice a week so pull would be Monday Thursday push would be Tuesday Friday legs would be Wednesday Saturday and obviously during the rowing season, I couldn't practice twice a day plus do an, uh, a calisthenics workout every single day. So what I ended up doing was I just kept my push-pull split, but I sprinkled some legs into there as well. Um, and that's like how I divided my routine up completely. And like I found my key movements that I love. Like, I mean, you. Can, I mean, Stephen Lowe is this like ex-gymnast, gymnast coach who like is like an incredible bastion of just knowledge. And like he created this chart, which I encourage like any and all of you listeners to come to go check out, which divides like every single body weight movement out there into like a pulling movement, a pushing movement, uh, a miscellaneous movement or a handstand movement. And I kind of just went through that chart myself and picked and chose what I like. And, uh, like I'm working on front lever, back lever, planche, 
Uh, I'm working towards a Maltese, which is, I mean, that's going to take, like, I don't think I'll ever be able to do it. But, I mean, like the progression I'm on right now is L-sit ring dips, which I encourage anyone and everyone to to try. And, um, like, that's how I've been doing my programming. And, like, it's been going wonderfully. And it's been difficult to program that way because, like, one of the fundamental laws of, of doing, like, lifting and cardio is, like, don't bastardize plans and don't, like, cross-contaminate with plans like you should always just stick to one and just move forward but like i mean i spent so much time making my plan and like refining it to be absolutely just fucking perfect like there's no way i can turn back from it for sure for sure all right well i think we've uh we've given a bit of a taste to everyone of what you guys get up to so to um finish off we'll move on to the questions we had, uh, a few of them we've kind of already touched on a bit, but we'll try and go ahead and cover them anyway. Um, so Nicholas Clark would like to know, how often is your protein intake during a training day or rest day, and what are the quality or type of sources? Cool. So that's an excellent yeah, question. question. They actually. This past year, I mean, I did a full bulk doing like a protein sparing modified fast every day. With Could you explain what that, that is? Basically, what I would do was I would just, and I, it wasn't with the best of intentions as to why I did this, but we can discuss that in another podcast. But I basically would only consume protein during the day. We're talking like I would eat like egg whites non-fat Greek yogurt and casein protein and that was it and then I would have two meals pre-workout and post-workout and the pre-workout would be like decently high carb maybe like 600 calories and then I would have a big dinner upwards of 2,000 calories and I bulked like that and I gained a good amount of muscle and strength doing that um I think that protein distribution is pretty important there was actually a new study that just came out that showed that uh three meals a day beat two meals a day for um, increasing lean muscle mass in weight-trained individuals. Uh, so I think that it is important. Um, it's not the be-all, end-all, though. Like, you can still make great gains. I mean, Tino eats one meal a day and makes great gains. Uh, so I don't think it's that important. As far as... Um, so how often, I mean, right now I'm eating, I'm eating three meals a day right now. And I was having still three protein feedings then as well. Um, and then uh, the type of sources, I'm not a huge fan of uh, vegan protein sources like beans and stuff, uh, mostly because they've been, sh they don't have a very high leucine content. So they're not going to like maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. I prefer things like eggs, fish, um, chicken, meh, it doesn't really do a lot for me. I like steak every once in a while, but, uh, oh, oh, oh my God, and uh, dairy, like Greek yogurt and cottage cheese, like that, that is literally my lifeblood. I will eat that stuff every single day, every meal if I could, and I didn't get weird looks for it. Uh, so, yeah. Um, 
And, uh, and we would try to get like around a gram of protein per pound of body weight per yeah, day. Yeah, that, that seems to be, I think like, uh, I mean, Menno Henselmans has talked about this. He's he another point eight two. Well, yeah, he says anywhere between like 0. 0.6 to 1 gram per pound, um, which I think is fine for most people. And then if you, if, if you want to optimize everything, spread that evenly throughout the day over three to four meals. And if you don't really give a shit about that, then just make sure you hit it by the end of the day and that's fine. And I don't think that it really makes that big of a deal as can be shown by Tino successes. Yeah. And I mean, I think actually worrying about like protein timings and feeding timings can actually drive you fucking insane. And like, I'm I think, a prime example of that. <laughs> it drove me fucking up the wall. And like for like a bunch of amateurs, like, I mean, not amateurs, but for people who aren't professional bodybuilders, like, I really think it's a negligible difference. Maybe, maybe not negligible, but I just fucking write it off as negligible. But interestingly enough, uh, I've been trying to put on weight recently and put on muscle, obviously, but a byproduct of putting on muscle is you also have to put on some fat. So I've been trying to eat in a caloric surplus, which I simply could not do eating one meal a day. So I, I kind of pumped the brakes a little bit on my intermittent fasting routines. And I've recently been eating 12 to eight, but the, I, I have three meals. So I have my first meal at noon, which is literally just like a protein shake or half a protein shake and like some eggs and then just hard boiled. And then around three, I'll have the rest of my protein shake and then six. And again, this protein shake is enormous. It's like an 86 gram protein shake with like flax seed and creatine and like literally just like a super protein shake. So that would cover most of my bases. And then for dinner, I'd kind of just like get the rest of my protein and then eat like shit just so I can like put on some mass. Um, because I did a very, very, very lean gains approach and I arguably like missed out on some gains from it, but I mean, whatever, it's the journey. Um, and that's been allowing me to put on some more weight, but like I've found that I've just been like forgetting to eat at noon. Like I've been doing one meal a day for so long. Like I, it'll be like two o'clock and I'll say, oh shit, I have to fucking eat. I totally forgot. I don't get that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like to answer your question, Nicholas, like I, I don't worry about it. I mean, I, I just, I just try and get a gram per pound of body weight that I have. And that takes form of like whey protein. Well, it's actually, I use this protein source called combat protein, which is like five different sources, like from the slowest re- metabolized one to the fastest one, which goes from like casein to whey. And then I put in, like, so I do a serving of that and then I do a half a cup of pea protein. And uh, I love pea protein. I found it super satiating, which has been good for keeping my weight down. And like some of my other teammates have experimented with pea protein and have reported like the same exact findings, which is like if you like supplement your, your, uh, your general like meals around the day with pea protein, like you, you will notice and again this is just anecdotal evidence from me and my friends you notice that like you eat fewer calories through the day so that could be a super good tactic to employ when trying to lose weight and 
Yeah, I feel like we exhausted that question. Yeah, for sure. There's a, a lot, a lot that goes into that. Um, if you want, if you want it, for sure. If you want to dive in and be super specific about it, you can. But clearly, as Tina says, there's a simpler way to go about it as well. Um, it's just don't worry about it. Jake Duffy would like to know, and we, we yeah we definitely touched on this a bit, but the importance of deloading. So maybe we get a shorthand answer on this, just summing up what we kind of said before. Yeah, I mean, I, I think deloading is essential. Like, unless you want to experience overuse injuries um, or just general burnout mentally, I think that you should employ a deload probably once every three to six weeks. I think if you're not deloading once every three to six weeks, probably just not training hard enough in my opinion and uh you could be getting more out of your workouts um and there's been a lot of like studies to to suggest that deloading is beneficial um and you don't lose gains from taking one week off of reduced uh volume um in fact it can actually potentiate further gains because it can kind of uh what's the word whatever uh Anyways, super compensate. Um, no, no, no. Re- resensitize. It can resensitize the muscle for uh, further anabolism. Um, so I think deloading is very important. Um, and interestingly, there are two kinds of deloads. There's planned deloads, which are you know you do a four week mesocycle, one week deload at reduced volumes. Then there's and that is. Um, Mike Isertel is a big fan of that. And then there's uh, auto-regulated deloading. And that is uh, Menno Henselman's and um, I think Eric Helms is a fan of this to a degree. Those are two big guys in the fitness industry that anyone should definitely look up and obsessively read their stuff. Uh, But they're both a fan of auto-regulated deloading. And that's like if you go into the gym one day and you're not feeling great, then, you know, take the next week and just reduce the volume. And it doesn't even have, it can be muscle specific. So like if you find that one day you go in, you have an awesome chin obsession, but your bench press is lagging, take the next week, deload your chest and keep everything else at the same volume as before. So see, but going back to, to Nicholas's question about like how frequently should you have protein throughout the day and of what source, like I just can't like wrap like I cannot get on board with auto regulation simply because of the fact that like it's like you can obsess over it and then you like you, like you can be midway through like a like a set and you could be like oh I'm not feeling that great and then like not hit like your like what you should be hitting for your reps and you don't like instead of getting to like 2 RIR you get to like 5 RIR and then you say which is reps in reserve and you say, ah, oh, you know what, I, I just need a deload. And then you like, you could be like on week two of a mesocycle, and then you're hitting another deload. And like, you, I mean, obviously, if you're auto regulating, you do kind, of, you are, or you do acknowledge like when you should be deloading, and you kind of put that into effect too. But I think it's just so much simpler just to stick to a routine, and then like. If really you're feeling that bad in the middle of a mesocycle, finish the mesocycle and then take like a fucking two-week deload if you need it. I mean, I'm just going to weigh in briefly on this as well. I think the other thing that can't be 
undervalued in terms of deloading is the mental effects as well you know like if you're staring down staring yes. down the barrel of a six week brutally hard training program and knowing that you've got the week to relax at the end it gives you time to plan other things that otherwise would have been taken up by training gives you you know oh yeah it gives you some a massive thing to look forward to yeah Oh my god, yeah. And then and when you like, come with deloading, you, you feel great as well, which also helps you get going again for the start of the next cycle. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like, I found that like by the end of my mesocycles, like, and I'm about to start a deload, like, I'm fucking ready for my deload. I'm like in fucking zombie mode. And then also like, on the other side of the coin is like when I'm finishing my deload, I'm like holy shit, I am, like, amped to get back to the fucking gym and start cranking reps out. For sure. All right, so we have two more questions. Um, we're going to weigh in on Ben Pontos first. He asks, how can I improve mobility while lifting? Um, definitely something that is pretty important and we see a lot of people struggle with. See, there's actually, like, some like theory that like the reason why people okay well i need to explain what a stabilizer muscle is in the first place like i think the commonly adopted definition of a stabilizer muscle is the is like the secondary and tertiary muscles that you use while executing a lift and uh like these can be like if you're squatting like your primary muscle that you're hitting is your quad and a stabilizer would be your hamstring and your glute. Or if you're doing like pull-ups, it's the antagonist muscles. So like possibly like triceps, possibly chest, like these are like stabilizing muscles. And usually why people cannot get around to a full range of motion rep is because their stabilizing muscles are weak. So, I mean, I think training stabilizing muscles, which I mean, you can, I don't want to spend too much time. So I would recommend just looking up like stabilizing muscles for particular, uh, muscle or for particular lifts and for particular muscle groups. Like, I feel like that could be super beneficial as well as like just overall stretching. Like even if it's five minutes a day, like by the end of the week, that's like nearly 40 minutes. And like, that's 40 minutes that you've spent stretching, like like five minutes may seem like nothing, but it adds up for sure. Yeah. My only, uh, add on would be make sure that you're doing full range of motion for every exercise you do, because if you don't do full range of motion, then you can start coming into some mobility issues too. There's, there's also going off of that. There's also something called a steady state cycle, which gymnasts often employ. And basically what that is, is like you, for eight to 12 weeks for, uh, like a particular, uh, like movement. It's usually the ones that are awkward, like a back lever. Like I encourage you to go look up what a back lever looks like on still rings. Like you'll choose a movement like a back lever or an iron cross, which are like very taxing on your joints and on your tendons and ligaments and like even your muscles. And you pick a certain like, uh, you pick a certain progression to stay at or like a certain uh, rep range or isometric time or basically just a certain difficulty to stick with for eight to 12 weeks. 
So basically what it would look like is the first four weeks, it would be pretty fucking challenging. The next four weeks, and you don't change anything. You change nothing. The next four weeks, it'd be meh. It'd be like, this is pretty tough. And then the last four weeks, it would be like, okay, I'm really ready to move on. And that's called a steady state cycle. And what that allows you to do is just like absolutely solidify like the perfect form for lifting and for certain movements. And like, it's not necessary for most movements, but for some, you will find that like, it allows you to get that full range of motion that Alex is talking about. And maybe it doesn't need to be like a 12 week cycle. Like maybe you could just spend like a couple training sessions doing it, but like not moving on to the next progression. If your technique is is shit. That's some really good advice right there for sure. Um, Alrighty, for our, our last question, we have another one in from Tino's brother, Luke, who asks, how accurate are total daily energy expenditure calculators? And if so, should I be eating the same amount of food, total calories on training days as I would for off days? Yeah, I think it depends on um, which one you're using. Like... If you're using a uh, a TDE calculator that takes into account TDE is total daily energy expenditure. Yeah. So just if your you're, calories. If you're, you're using burning one per day. to take into account uh, like body weight activity level, um, body fat, lean mass, your sex, then I think it's it's actually not. It's pretty accurate. I mean, in my experience, um, a TDEE calculator that uh, that took into account body fat percentage, which I estimated, um, it was only about 100 calories lower than what I actually needed. That's not including extra exercise in the form of cardio um, or lifting. But I really think, like, in my experience, the best... Uh, the best calculator to determine your um, base caloric intake is multiply your body weight in pounds by 15 or 16. And that'll give you like a really, really good estimate. I've found it's better or as good as any calculator you'll find online. And it's just way simpler. And so, then how, how do you take into yeah. account like, daily activity for that? And then, and then how oh, do you yeah. um, based off, off, off of your daily activity? I think that like that kind of gets into the weeds a little bit. I don't think it's that important. I actually think it's probably better to kind of have the same number of calories on your training days as your off days. Some people are proponents of calorie cycling. I think it can be beneficial if you're trying to lose weight. But if you're trying to gain weight, I would say like have a constant surplus. And if you're at maintenance, it, it doesn't fucking matter. Like whatever works best for you. Um... And, uh, yeah. And then, and then you would have to figure out what you're, if you're adding on cardio, you would have to figure out how many calories you're burning in that during that cardio and then add it on to your, um, predicted, uh, total energy expenditure. And then you just kind of have to just figure it out, you know, like eat it a certain number of calories and if your weight's going up, then bring it down. And if your weight's dropping, then bring it up and then you can find your maintenance and go from there. It's not that complicated, but it is kind of 
tedious and annoying, which is why I don't really recommend tracking calories for people in the long run because it sucks and can lead to uh, very bad relationships with food. So, yeah. That's all I have to say on that. For sure. I think Alex summed it up perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. I think we're, we're just about there. It was a bit of a long one today, but um, lots to say. It was a passionate yeah, one. Doubt. And, a bit, you know, it's a big topic, you know, as I kind of tried to say at the beginning, it's one of the kind of founding pillars of fitness. Um, so definitely getting the opinion of you two on on strength and everything to do with it was uh yeah it was going to take a bit longer than than some of our previous episodes but as always it's been an absolute pleasure thank you